And it's Katie, and this is Classically Black Podcast. Where we talk all things classical music and being black in the profession. With trap beats playing, with WAP playing in the background. <laughs> Period. Up around the top, make it drop, that's some wet. It's some what? I'm talking what? WAP, 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 that? that's some wet. It's some, it's some what? Did you just say? What did you say? I want to gag. I want to choke. I want you to touch Whoa. that. Whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Y'all heard it here first. Hopefully, there's still a show. I mean, who going to check us? Y'all are back. Huh? Oh. I thought you meant like the show get canceled or something. I was like, who's going to check us? <laughs> I mean, period. I mean, there's going. The thing is, every time I feel like we're going to cross the line, we keep moving the line. Sorry, you mean you gonna cross the line? You said that. Uh-uh. We both put that episode out last week, though. The episode last week wasn't bad. It really wasn't. I feel like we've done worse. Have we done worse? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not like have. at once, huh? So yeah, you might have. Uh-uh, Delaney. It's equal trifle over here. Delaney, I know. Actually, I might have this conversation because I know. Lord knows too. Yeah. Okay. You do. We talking wop 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 yeah we always <laughs> practicing wop, wop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god i was telling delaney i wish we did that episode this week because like the song gets better and better every time i listen to it yeah my, <sighs> my dog about sick of me singing it in her face so <laughs> jenga's over you it's it's the disrespect for me <laughs> like not her the other day Completely turned away from you. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. She's on my. Uh, I caught her eating grass. I put on my Instagram story. I should have added you. Oh, period. We love to see a vegan dog. Okay, she was right up in my face asking for some salami right after that. So, dang. You know what? Every step towards being yep. vegan. Yep. Step in the right direction. I don't care. I don't care what people eat. <laughs> it's your business. Hey, I used to eat steak. Huh? It's okay, people. I mean, Chanka might as well be a person. Yeah. Might as well be. Also, she couldn't be vegan. But anyway. If I go have a pet, I'll make it vegan. You can't do that. Aren't there vegan dogs? There is definitely vegan dog food. You shouldn't. Oh, for real? <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> My mom got two, like, has two cats now. And, like, I realized... I'm just not a pet person. Like, I thought I was. But they just... Cats. Her cats. I mean, they're kittens. So, like, I guess. Well, they just do a lot. Yeah, and she's I'm like, not you're not going to play with them? I'm like, they okay to look at, but... Not to look at. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. You got two of them joints. Yeah, I'm not a cat person. I certainly could never... No. no I mean, I feel like out of all the animals, i probably do a cat they're easier but the whole litter box thing i feel like there's always there's too many downsides for having a yeah. pet well you litter pick up boo boo though it's true like once a day like <laughs> yeah but i mean this is a little bit you don't you want a kid are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> you probably gonna get boo booed on <laughs> thrown so up far. on you you snot all eh. 
My gosh. At least That's you can send long. your dog to the groomer so they can get. I mean, I'm just... a long way away. I can't even take care of myself. We both gonna be looking dumb. She gonna be looking crazy if I blend up some tofu in the bottle for her. Like, what we gonna do, sis? We some both tofu hungry. in a bottle. <laughs> this fellowship check cannot buy nobody's formula, so that's for sure. So tofu in a bottle. Can you imagine? That sounds. Eh. All right, tofu's underrated. Okay. You said it yourself, that little thing I made that one time, it looked good, didn't it? What'd I say? Uh uh-uh, uh, don't cap. Remember the um the tacos? Uh-huh. Yeah, if it had chicken in it. Okay, uh uh-uh, uh. We should it looked good. It didn't it didn't look See? like tofu. <laughs> See? Huh? It looked good. Tofu can tofu's malleable. Yeah, it looked good. Like the right, that's the, what I the, said. The, it, it looked good. Right. I mean, it was like banging a, too. Like a painting looks good. I don't want to eat it. Delaney, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you capping, dog? You no, said. I'm not saying. I'm saying I would make that, but with chicken. Yeah, I remember. I remember you saying that part because honestly, you don't. You eat meat. There's literally no reason for you to go through all that with tofu. I went through it kind of a lot. I had to freeze it, defrost it. It was a lot. Well, I remember when you brought out that tempeh, whatever. My mom, her face was like, "What the heck?" Because that that, that dude look weird. Nah, and you know I don't love tempeh. I really don't. It, it it's doing a lot. a lot. It looked like because it be yeah, it be like grainy and stuff. I it don't love like, it. I don't even know. It looked like it look, like a lizard bag. Like? You know what it looked like? <laughs> that's actually kind of gross. I'm not gonna tell you what it looked like, but it's like I'm not a huge tempeh fan, but some tempeh tempeh bacon do go like that. That little sandwich was it. I should make that again. But yeah, I feel like I bought some tempeh. Every time I buy tempeh, it goes bad because I'd be like, "Wow, I really got tempeh in here. I gotta make it." Cause it be like it be. Mm, I don't know how to describe it. But vegans and bacon be kind of struggling. Like, cause what else? You either, you might as well have tempeh bacon. Cause what else you gonna have? Coconut bacon? That's a hard no for me. So. Didn't tap it to brown. She did carrot bacon. Oh, she did make. I said I was gonna try that. Tap it to brown. Got the whole world going vegan. She's like, "Well, she could do it." I'm like. Okay, fine. I mean, I'm interested to see what that tastes like because carrot seems like a hard flavor to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And but. that's why I'm really like carrot. Like people be making mac and cheese with carrots and stuff like that. Girl, the vegan world. That's why. I don't know. The ve- vegans are innovative, but I feel like this needs the the face of veganism needs to change, and that's why I'm happy. That Tabitha Brown is here because yeah. it's really it's like most things it's white dominated mm-hmm. and and they be, and how would you like it if I came to your house and enslaved your whole entire family? Well, that's what it's just like, yeah. yo, bro. We really talk about two different things here. I, I I forgot what what I texted you. I forgot what what I posted on my vegan stuff and on my vegan page and Peter liked it and I was like I can't even be excited for this because y'all really Peter be wilding, bro. <laughs> Like I couldn't even be excited. I was like, "This is not an accomplishment." Like y'all do too much. <laughs> do a lot. Talking about plant lives matter. I'm oh. like, <laughs> 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 which wouldn't even make sense because you're killing the plants to eat them. 
Disco Symphony are partnering for a new uh, initiative called the Emerging Black Composers Project. Um, they're going to be using um, a gift of $250,000 to commission 10 new works over the next 10 years. Um, each composer who wins will receive a $15,000 commission. Uh, work, uh, workshops and performances at the San Francisco Symphony and San Francisco Conservatory, and also mentorship from um, a trio of prominent Bay Area music directors, including Michael Morgan, Edwin Outwater, and Esapeka Solonen. Um, so I am going to link not just the story, but also the application, because I know we got some composers out here. Come get y'all juice. Um, they're accepting applications through December 31st. Do not wait until December 30th. I mean, you might could. Okay. Listen, I'll, sometimes there's really no reason to do stuff ahead of time. I said sometimes. Sometimes. That's how I live. The only thing I do ahead of time is practice. Because I'm not going to be up there looking dumb. I waited you know until I, I had to. I turned something in at eleven fifty nine for the first time. It was the worst experience of my freaking life. I mean, because I had to wait for stuff to download. Like, oh girl, like, oh yeah, and music apps. I don't do those last minute no more because that. I remember that time and you and I was like, girl, it's terrible. And then one thing I was one time I was finding something in L A. and I was like panting, and then I realized y'all got three more hours. <laughs> Okay, them saying we know that you're uh, on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, I'm trying to get better, but like certain things, man, I just feel I'd rather relax now. If it's if it's due in two months, I have something to do on Monday. When am I gonna do it? Probably starting tomorrow. It's kind of a big deal. Oh, I'm not saying start it now. I'm just saying don't start till December 30th because now you you knee deep in Christmas and whatever. Like, oh, I forgot about <laughs> you know most things canceled this year. So um, Christmas, New Year's, well. Sh- we going up <laughs> at the New Year's. Twenty twenty been a doozy, but no, um, probably not gonna be no watch night. Dang. I mean, I did. Did I even? I mostly sleep through. I think I slept through New Year's for the past. Nah, couple I years. love. I love going to watch night. Energy be crazy. Be lit. That's the only thing I do on New Year's. <laughs> Go be at the um, house. Well, so I guess according to Katie, start on December thirty first at eleven fifty. No, nah, man, it's at 11 o'clock. <laughs> if you already wrote the piece, what you got to do? Fout your name? Okay. Probably not. Yeah, I'll be a terrible soccer see. mom. There will never be snacks at the game. Uh-uh. We're going to be. Right, <laughs> and they're going to be eating tofu cubes that you found in the back of your car. We're going to be freaking running from the fufu less to the game an hour <laughs> before. <laughs> Period. Um, What else? Um, unfortunately, the Phoenix Symphony has canceled their season entirely until um, September 2021. Um, they're going to be celebrating their 75th uh, anniversary in September of 2021. Um, but until then, they're going completely dark. A lot of um, other orchestras have announced like alternative seasons or like some type of hybrid, but they were just like, nah, sis. Um, I mean, Phoenix... Girl, they make COVID over there. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> let's let's move. They on. got that junk in jars. Okay, Phoenix. 
<laughs> it's true, girl. Okay. All right. Well, in good news, um, the Richmond Symphony. The Richmond Symphony, um, they're launching a new virtual music school um, that's going to have class offerings from everyone um, from like pre-K age all the way through adulthood. It's launching on October 5th. Um, I'm talking about this specifically because of one of their course offerings. It's going to be taught by Titus Underwood. If you don't know Titus, he was a black excellence a long time ago, and he's also the principal oboist at the Nashville Symphony. He's teaching a class called Black Music Discovery. Um, which is going to explore the contributions of black people in classical music. Um, you can find more information about his class through an intro video that he um, put together. It's about two, three minutes of him explaining how the class is going to go, like what type of stuff they're going to cover. Um, and yeah, period. Um, the registration for this is open on the 31st of this month, August 31st. Um, so again, that launches on October 5th. There's not much information about other class offerings, but I'm glad that, I mean, that's the only one I seem to be interested in, so. Oh, there's other classes? <laughs> not as far as I'm concerned. Oh, okay. Okay. Good for him. Glad he's leading the entire school. Right. It's funny because his, his class is the only one, yeah, the only one that I see on the page as of right now. Cause it's not like a list it's more like his video mm. was a length yeah oh i see but mm-hmm. but yeah that's the news oh okay <clears throat> time for the intermission not trifling this week so well anything goes okay so my question to delaney this week i can find it oh this is very good i'm sorry <laughs> i have so many notes i think i have 900 so okay oh, okay well it's true no i probably have like 967 okay what are some things in classical music or studying classical music that are right okay <laughs> that are romanticized that you wish were not I go first. I'm sure we have some of the sim- similar ones, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, well, one thing that I wish wasn't normalized—it seems like, or not normalized, romanticized—is like the the overworking. But not even just in general, but like in music school, it's always like, oh, I got now Eastman School of no sleep, and and got yeah. got 45 minutes of sleep last night, and and you know some people think that's all you need, but um, that's not scientifically right. <laughs> true well, i would um, love to see the study that they, they use right. for that. um but you know like that whole uh i barely da, 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 da. like it's just it seems like people yeah. it's always like oh you got two hours of sleep well i got one hour and 59 minutes of sleep so <laughs> yeah like i had that on mine Ex- exhaustion is certainly romanticized um, when studying classical music and that's actually funny because I forgot to say I, I, I texted Delaney I was on YouTube just kind of farting around had some free time um, yesterday and I saw this video of like a day in the life of a classical musician or something like that or whatever and but she, it was a child and she was like I typically spend 11 hours a day practicing and I was like excuse me first of all I mean, 
uh the girl was playing the girl was playing like the 24th Paganini Caprice and what I really feel like it was is she was preparing for she was preparing for a performance but she ain't say that like she's like obviously the video led up to her preparing for the performance that she was gonna do virtually or whatever but she ain't say this is this is a week in my life preparing for performance she said this is a week in my life as a classical musician so you're you're romanticizing this idea that people really should be practicing 11 hours a day that doesn't make any sense i mean all you do is play your instrument and i have absolutely I, no interest i don't in that. care what type of performance i got coming to do. i'm not practicing 11 <laughs> hours a day for it 11 i mean if you think about it like okay there's 24 hours in a day but you spend like eight to 10 of those either sleeping or doing other things like showering eating so that means all you do the rest of the day is practice what nah i feel like overworking is definitely romanticizing i'm while working hard is certainly necessary um in this field doing um i'm i i really tap out sweetie said tap in i tap out at like five hours because right around six i start to i start to ache like my my body can't do i did i did a six hour day one time and I, I was sore after that. Um, yeah, that's. I feel like everybody loved being like, how much you practice? Oh, I practice eight all. Oh, oh, I practice 10. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you leave blood on the well, keyboard too? Like, know, I, I, I practice 27 hours. You know, I, I actually made a time continuum machine so that I could practice more than 24 hours in a day. Yeah, because oh no 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 because my 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 uh <laughs> I, I made that machine too and and I'm practicing fifty hours a day only forty <laughs> <laughs> not the not like, the stuttering that that got you there not the and oh um, 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 um. <laughs> what <laughs> we should have names for these characters that we be doing. Cause we do right. that one, we do the oh no no no, we do that one and we do the and then and then and then that one. That one, that one. Yeah, we need names for these people because we're ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, girl, I mean, you want to brag about practicing? That I mean, that's. That's the hill you want to die on, cause you practice eleven hours. I mean, little mama was making a video for for Vogue. You know what I'm saying? Like she's doing very well for herself. But I feel like the idea of like being a slave to your instrument is, girl. I'm gonna practice for four, maybe five hours if I have something. If five, if I got like an audition coming up or something. Well, no, nah. I do. I'll do. Yeah, I ain't finna lie. Like I will do like a little. I'll break it up and do like try to do like a little six. You got because you know, you know what time it is when the audition's coming. But like on a regular day, mm-hmm. four hours is it, and I'm going out about my life. I got other stuff to do. We got this podcast. I have to do nothing. You also have to play in other um, places too. Like it's not just that's just practicing. You also have playing engagements. Like see, that's the thing. So it's not even just like that's your individual practice, but then what's gonna happen? You done practice eleven hours today, but also you had a two-hour orchestra rehearsal. You know, like, uh, and it's another thing. I feel like it was very misleading because also she obviously filmed this video. She filmed this video in quarantine, 
So people in the comments are like, what about school? What about like homework? You don't got no hobby, girl. Like, I, and I'm, you know me, I'm really into hobbies. Um, you know, I think I jam my little my little pinky. That's gonna. I hope we'll see how this dexterity goes. I jam my pinky doing tennis. Oh, we'll see. Um, that dude. I'm also very clumsy, so it could have been something else. But um, yeah, I don't know, girl. But okay. Since we shared that one, um, something that I think is romanticized in classical music is self-criticism. And I feel like I didn't really start doing being overly self-critical until I got into the music setting. I'm not even going to say Eastman, like an undergrad, because you, because everybody, I I hate it so much. Like, like, so you'll play, you'll, um, you're playing, someone will play in studio, right? Okay, you walking out of the studio. Oh my God, it was so bad. Oh my God. And I, oh, oh my God. God. I told you somebody in my studio did that to me. Like, I, this was a person that they played. That sounded great. And I, you know, I gave them their good job. I always be sounding good. Yo. I gave them their good job at the end um, of class. And I went home because I always go straight home at the studio. Um, Cause hanging out for what? Also, my studio's at nine p.m. So, <laughs> right, it be ten o'clock. They be getting bubble tea. I said I'm going home. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and by the time I got home, this person texted me. Oh my god, that was so bad. No, just because I told you good job, you wanted to do that because you thought I was gonna double back. And I said, I said yeah. I already told you how I felt about it. <laughs> That's when I texted them back because I was like, you're not, you're not getting that from me. I was like, boy, get off of my I phone. hate that junk. <laughs> and I understand that there has to be like a help. Like, I feel like, I don't know. You have to be aware of how you play. But like that, like, yeah, that was so bad. Like, I, 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 I botched that. And I'm like, I don't yes, know. Like, I hate that. Like, I understand you're looking for validation. And I feel like you should just do what needs to be done so that you can get that authentically from yourself. Because mm-hmm. then that just creates a whole like toxic relationship between you and the instrument because you know that somebody i mean anybody who's not rude you know they're not gonna be like like that person texted me i was gonna be like yeah it was it was freaking terrible you suck you're the worst <laughs> bass player i've ever heard like you know like mm-hmm. uh, so it's just like i don't know i just i'm good on that yeah, and one thing one thing I had to train myself to 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 stop doing when it comes to viola is being overcritical because or or even like I think we we've talked about this like in our personal conversation about like I stopped joking about being bad at the viola because I started to believe it, mm-hmm. and it was just like it was a little rough patch I went through with that like yeah I really cannot even play this instrument you know and it's like I joked around so much like someone be like oh. Eastman where people think I go to Westman you know and it's like <laughs> you I started to believe that and I had to, I had to stop and I, I definitely saw I saw a change after that just being like yeah you know it, it was fine it went well sometimes it don't be going well though yeah you just gotta be real with yourself it's a balance it's yeah. a balance of self being being healthily self-critical and like just being freaking annoying like it don't sound bad you know it don't sound bad because for my recital Ugh. i had to preface i was like y'all i don't need y'all to say nothing to me it was like when i was saying that my recital was bad 
was because it was and i don't need to and not because i want people to tell me that it wasn't because like Mm -hmm. it was not even if it was not bad it was not up to the standard that i wanted to give a recital at is what i would say Mm -hmm. you know like so i don't know yeah there's a balance Mm -hmm. got another one yeah i wish people didn't romanticize like Okay, this is a this is a, a tricky one, because on one hand, there's someone that we both know who's like, oh, and I told my teacher X, Y, and Z because they already know. Like, it was someone that thinks that they don't need to listen to their teacher when in reality, was the same yeah. person from before, right? Right. Okay, make sure we're on the same page. So okay. I don't mean that. So let's just put that. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that. But when people are very much like, um. Like, your teacher can just do and say whatever to you. Yeah. Because there are so okay. many people, especially, like, in music school, be like, yeah, my teacher told me I was worthless and I couldn't play my instrument and, and I leave every lesson cl- crying. I'm like, do you realize that you are a grown adult? Like, I wish we did not romanticize that. Like, what's that sh- not show, that movie Whiplash or whatever? It was about, like, that abusive, like, yeah. jazz teacher who was, like, throwing drumsticks at people and stuff. And, and I've just heard some stories of just people, like, there's a, some, there's, like, some people think that you shouldn't rest your arm on the shoulder of the base. Like, if you're going to thumb position, some people say it's okay, some people it's not. And my teacher was telling me about someone he knew that put, like, tacks on the side so you would get, like, stabbed with them if you would let your arm get too low. And it's just like, <laughs> what are these? They used to do that to, back in the day, they used to do that. They used to put tacks on the bottom of the of the violin so you can't have a pizza like, wrist. My kids need that high kick. Okay. I'm laughing. <laughs> like, I just... There, and there are people, grown adults, who be like, "Yeah, my teacher, they told me to quit, and and um, and they said that I wasn't worth nothing." And people like leaving their every lesson crying and and shaking, going to their lessons. It's just like, yo, like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, like I think your teacher has a, a a breadth of knowledge that that you are literally paying to have access to, but that also needs to be accompanied by like a base level of just regular human decency. <laughs> Like like base level, <laughs> like just the smallest amount. And something that's not on my list is like that. Like I don't know. Like people, like classical music is certainly a struggle because like there's so many people doing it, and this has to be a certain way. It has to be done a certain way. But that like that struggle where everything got to be hard. Like your teacher don't gotta call you worthless every week for you to have like an authentic experience in classical music. Like that's certainly. Yeah, like people, first of all, I've never had a teacher, let me knock on wood, but I've never had a teacher talk to me crazy. I mean, I've had some no. lessons where it got a little, you know, got a little. Right. Got a little. a little. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but never like, yeah. I couldn't imagine. First of all, I'm not going to be scared to go to, I already feel incredibly vulnerable when I play the viola. So you're not finna, I'm not going to be scared to play. I'll be like, I want how this finna go. Right, because like I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I really it. had to, but they've been warranted, I, and it's just like sometimes you just gotta say like it is. But there's a way, like, and also some people do not respond. I do not respond at all yeah. to negative reinforcement because you're not gonna talk to me in no kind of way because I'm grown. Yeah, I'm, like yeah, I'm, <laughs> and I'm, I'm gonna be tight. First, I'm gonna be tight, and then I'm gonna be, I'm gonna feel some. I'm also gonna feel yeah, the type. Like, I'm a little, and I'm not gonna be not like learning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not gonna be learning. I'm a little sensitive. You know, what but saying? even like, if you're you not like. You know, even if you're not sensitive, like just someone talking to you any kind of way, yeah. You know, like 
coming for you it, it not even having fully to do with your with your plan or something you know like you are worthless like you know like <laughs> you, like that that reminds me of dr block dr block you know i've talked about him on the show several times like that's that's like one of my favorite people period my conducting professor from undergrad um, you know, I was in the conducting studio, so I was in way over my head. Like there was actually like people who was conducting, conducting. And I'm doing least starter soul die like coffee. And he would be like, Yeah, you're freaking clueless. But I always knew he's <laughs> You weird because you have no, like really because- you have like pockets of people that talk to you that way and you don't think nothing of it, and then like anything else is like <laughs> Because you like, how do you mean the that? Reason, they said hi, Katie, but they said it like hi, KT. <laughs> and what they mean about that, because I don't play that. And, it, it, like, <laughs> and I'm not the one of the two. So <laughs> the reason why I never, I never was offended. First of all, Dr. Black loved me. He's still alive. He loves me, right? So it was never, because I've, I've seen Dr. Block be like, that's what he does when huh? he's mad. Okay, <laughs> when he when he says stuff like this, like when he says stuff like that, it was from like a a joking place. Like it wasn't like you are worthless. You will never be a conductor. <laughs> like it was never that. But to me, that's why I never I never took that. Like I'm illiterate because I I read a wrong dynamic. Like that's complete hyperbole, you know. So it's like you can't even. I couldn't even take it seriously. I was laughing like, ah, I'm illiterate, and then we kept going, you know. And then he'll be like, "This is fabulous," and then yeah. But also because I know it's not coming from a malicious place, mm-hmm. you know. But some like I've seen, so. <sighs> Okay, my last one is <laughs> my last one is uh, perfection. I hate that perfection is um, romanticized. Like either like the the idea of like striving for perfection and certain people being perfect, I think is extremely toxic to classical music, and it has affected the way that I've interacted with the instrument especially like when I got deeper into like the orchestral world and like trying to figure out these um what's going on I remember I remember even turning in my Memphis Symphony app and I was like yeah this was a waste of time because this was like it was like it's not where it needs to be and you know they on they on my neck to turn it in earlier and I'm like yeah so I'm just gonna waste my time doing this um guess it was something but period i mean no other I remember I took a, ever there's there's several who have um yeah but i'm talking forever can ever from this point forward they actually might just close it after you're done so so two years ago i went to cleveland i took a lesson with um lynn ramsey uh, who is assistant principal viola of the Cleveland Orchestra. And she's a great teacher. She's absolutely fantastic. I learned a lot. But I spent a lot of the the lesson, like, not doing well. And she finally had to tell me to, like, you're doing fine. Like, relax. Because I was like, it's Lynn Ramsey. It has to be perfect. Like, like I've played, like, like, I've played Brahms 3 perfectly every single time since I got there. You know, like, that doesn't, that's not how it works, Katie. So, um, that it's affected 
it's affected the way I've interacted. Like when I get in certain spaces, I'm like, it has to be perfect. And like, we know perfection doesn't exist, but also in classical music, it's like, it does. I had, I had, uh, I took an audition class at Eastman. It wasn't like the excerpt class. It was, there's this class that addresses like performance anxiety. I don't, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm. It's like one of the ALP courses. Hmm. There's like a winning audition success course. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I took that class and lady straight up was like, yeah, so your taste has to be perfect. I was like, this is freaking ghetto. And I've never, for, I've never forgot her saying that. So. You got another one? Nope. Great. Moving on. All right. <laughs> I'm over here thinking. Anyway, yeah, so this week this is our final, yeah, our final recording from our little series at Yala National. Um, this format is a little bit different because this is the the culmination of the whole series that was co-curated and hosted by us and Alex Lang, uh, principal clarinetist of the Phoenix Phoenix Symphony. Um, and so we're coming together and kind of doing a recap of our sessions and also talking about like our favorite parts and our highlights and whatever and it's also a little bit different because we're kind of on the interviewee side of it because we're not moderating it um actually my boss is angelica shout out to angelica angelica here <laughs> uh so yeah um here that go <laughs> this is so ghetto why y'all listen <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to Yola National at Home and to our final episode uh, for our Pathway Exploration Series. My name is Angelica Cortez uh, and I work with the LA Phil on Yola. I'm joined by my colleague Emily Bourne, who at least on my screen is in this corner here. Uh, <laughs> Emily is going to be uh, moderating the chat. Uh, so if you all have any questions for any of our panelists at any point, please feel free to use that. Uh, and please feel free to let us know where you're tuning in from, city, state, all that good stuff. It makes us feel good to see uh, so many faces and familiar names uh, from so many places. Uh, so I'm going to be moderating today's chat. Uh, so I want to introduce my incredible group of colleagues here, uh, Delaney Harris, Katie Brown, and Alex Lang. Uh, and just to give you um, a little bit of behind the scenes on why we're all here, um, basically we wanted to take a minute to talk about pathway explorations in music. Uh, hopefully, if you've tuned into some of these other sessions, what you've seen is that there are a lot of career pathways in music. Uh, and more importantly, there's a lot of incredible people that are creating their own career pathways in music, right? So they're not just doing the traditional route, uh, taking their instrument, playing music, and kind of going to win an audition, but actually they're instead uh, making this place their own and uh, taking the time to figure out what they want this space to be. So we're gonna talk a little bit more about that today. You're also gonna learn a little bit more about these threes pathways. Uh, so super excited about that. We'll talk about some of the themes that we heard over the past few sessions and uh, some of the conversations that came up as we were discussing that. Um, so just to start out, let's go ahead and hear a little bit about you threes pathways. Uh, I'm gonna ask Katie to get us started. Tell us a little bit about your pathway. How did we get to where you are today? 
Okay, hi everyone. My name is Katie. Oh, it says Catherine, huh? I go by Katie. Um, um, I'm a violist from Evanston, Illinois, which is a suburb just outside of Chicago. Um, I did my undergraduate studies at Illinois State University, um, and I got there just because I liked music. I kind of picked the viola to get out of math class in fourth grade and just stuck with it, and then was like, I guess I'll study music again. Um, and then I graduated from Illinois State and got more serious and was able to attend the Eastman School of Music where I did my master's in viola performance and music education. Um, in between that, I taught public school for like a couple months and then I got into Eastman and I was like, well. <laughs> um, and then after Eastman, I took a break and now I'm um, a orchestra fellow with the Memphis Symphony Orchestra. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Thanks, Katie. Uh, let's go with Alex next. Hey, uh, my name is <clears throat> Alex Lang. Uh, I grew up in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, just outside DC. Uh, didn't uh, The school that I went to didn't actually have an instrumental music program, but I started with a summer program the DC Youth Orchestra ran, uh, you know, beginner group clarinet class. And um, then from there, my parents saw that there was something going on and found me a private teacher. And, you know, that was my, that was music for me really through all through uh, junior high, you know, middle school, junior high and high school was just clarinet lessons Thursday at 6.30. And um, those would get longer and bigger and clarinet just became a more part of my life. And I, um, you know, did some competitions. Um, didn't love that, did okay at that. Um, Anyway, then went off, uh, majored in music. I went to Northwestern University. What's up, Evanston? And uh, <laughs> um, actually uh, withdrew from Evans from Northwestern after my third year. I knew I was coming back, but I, uh, I needed a reset. And so I went to uh, Amsterdam and studied with a the teacher there uh, and did an artist certificate actually before I finished my undergraduate. Then came back, it was, had things back on track, um, finished my undergraduate and then graduate school, orchestral performance, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, went out and on the circuit, started taking auditions, was fortunate to get a fellowship with the Detroit Symphony, so that gave me a place to practice while I was taking all those auditions. And then um, eventually landed in the Phoenix Symphony, uh, where I now have been for the last 20 years. And uh, I s like to say that I um, have a practice, you know, and my job with the Phoenix Symphony is a big part of my practice but my practice is about uh, the way I see music. And I see music as being about sound and words and people. And I try to have a practice that really expresses itself in all three of those ways. Thanks, Alex. Um, let's go, let's hear from Delaney and then I have questions for about that practice. Uh, mm -hmm. I, wanna, I wanna hear from Delaney first about her pathway. Um, so my name is Delaney, I'm a bass player. Um, I started playing piano first um, in church. And then um, I started playing the bass in Yola. Um, I'm, oh, sorry, I'm from, I'm from Inglewood, California, which is in LA. Um, but yeah, I started playing the bass. I played a couple other instruments in high school, the flute, the bassoon, just because. Um, but then I got uh, serious about playing the bass. So I went to Eastman, um, Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York. Uh, well, it's not where I met Katie, it's where I should have met Katie, but <laughs> um, we met in that in that same time period, I would say. Um, and actually, after my my junior year at Eastman, um, I didn't know what I was doing, and 
like everything just getting to me the culture shock of coming from a place that's predominantly black to a place that's overwhelmingly white and like just I mean the rigor of conservatory all of that was just really getting to me especially because Eastman is a pretty academic conservatory um so it's it's very academic like academia heavy um in addition to being performance heavy so um after my junior year I got an internship working at the LA Phil and then I decided I wasn't going to go back to school and so I took a semester off that would have been my senior year um and I continued to work there so I kind of got to do other things um uh other than play the bass which is what I've been doing for so long and almost had me thinking I couldn't do anything else um and so um yeah I took that semester off um and then I went back to finish up my senior year in the spring semester and then a pandemic happened so that's my pathway up until that oh and then Katie and I started classically black sorry oh I yeah I didn't too. mention classically black <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> uh, it's gonna say Katie Brown, Delaney Harris, comma, Classical Black Podcast. Uh, in, in 2018, I knew I was forgetting something. In 2018, Katie and I started Classical Black Podcast, um, which is a, a, a show that that um, kind of merges Black culture and classical music and, and um, highlighting Black musicians, composers, um, and their contributions to classical music. And can you, Delaney and Katie, tell us a little bit more about why you created that space? What brought you to create that space? Why, why are you, why did you go about the trouble of like, you know, what are we at almost, we talk about almost being at a hundred podcast episodes now, you're, you're like 80 in, why, like to what end? I think we first, cause uh the a podcast that like, came into my mind as one of my practice ideas like sometimes my mind just while I'm practicing that's so why I get my best ideas um so I was like oh she's had a podcast because I, I was pretty new to listening to podcasts probably like about a year and Delaney and I listened to some of the same podcasts well just one of the same podcasts so we had that I don't think I, I can't speak for Delaney but I don't think we foresaw classically black becoming like this we were like oh we should like talk about classical music because that's how delay and i speak about classical music anyway like we will always just talk about it like oh that slaps you know just like in regular conversation so we would like just put it on the mics and then it kind of be i i can't i would say like it became this community of like highlighting the black experience of classical music and really diving deep into like our quarrels with the field and and the struggles of being black in this field so um i don't know delaney you can say i don't i don't have distinct memory of being like we gotta start this thing to to like whatever but it, it really developed i'm really happy that it kind of developed into this advocacy for not not only sharing black music but saying black people are here and we wanted to it with that we wanted to say that black people are in classical music but it really developed and grew into into what it is today yeah yeah i think it, it also it was born out of like black that's why that's why i i said eastman is not where i met katie is where i should have met katie because we went to eastman together for a year and a half before we actually met in the airport in detroit at a conference so um and I, and you know we we have been on the same plane there and she was like you go to eastman i was like yeah you go to eastman yeah and and then we became like friends really really quickly and we're like why didn't we know each other because we didn't have a black students union we didn't have anything like that so we were like okay we're gonna you know a couple months later literally no one believes us but we knew each other for like six months before we started classically black um and so we were like yeah we're just gonna 
Thank you. And uh, I want to circle back to Alex, because uh, Alex, a couple times throughout um, the sessions, you talked about uh, so-called classical music, right? Or I saw mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you mm -hmm. put quotes around classical music. You talk mm -hmm. about why that is and um, how that kind of connects to what Delaney and Katie are talking about. Yeah. I mean, so I think language is important. I think that um, <clears throat> I think that uh, the frame of classicality is often um, obscures or or is a beard for white supremacy. Um, and so, this notion that this music, is, you know, the the idea of the classical, right? Is this, you know, it's the ideas behind it are like things that are beyond space and time and place and are timeless. And, and so I think that that um, tends to lend itself to a narrative that like this music is universal and doesn't have any sort of affiliations to culture or place or time, which I think really for, for myself as, as a black artist, you know, I, I absorbed a lot of that and reiterated a lot of that and then didn't really have a place for the sense of alienation I felt within the art form, alienation for myself, alienation from the people I associated with or was trying to associate with, alienation from, you know, a, a, a sense of Black cultural um, affirmation. And so I, I say so-called, uh, I, I, I did all kinds of different stuff along the way, right? So this, this is about pathways. So I, at first I would say stuff like, Western European art music, or I would say things to people like, what are you talking about? And I'd be like, classical music. And they'd be like, oh, well then, but I didn't want to keep co-signing on this narrative. It did, I didn't think it was healthy for me and I didn't, and I wanted to call it out. So I, I eventually came upon so-called classical music, which sort of, is, I just say it, it's just how I think of it now. And it lets me, people can stop and ask like, well, why do you say so-called? And we can talk about it. Or we can just keep moving because I, I don't want to spend a whole day on that. And I don't often, you know, I, what I need to identify is we're talking about this right here, right? So what's important is that we, we, we agree about what we're talking about. So saying so-called allows me to sort of name it, um, also not contribute to um, frames and ideas that I think um, I don't want to contribute to anymore, um, but also lets people understand what I'm talking about. So so-called classical music. Yeah, that makes me think a lot about uh, when we, so we just got done with our first year of the Ola National Institute. Um, and when we were doing interviews for that, there was a lot of language from uh, the young folks who were interviewing for the program about how music is a universal language, right? Um, and yeah, that, I, that, that was the exact case that I made Delaney where it's like, well, I don't know, when I'm at home, like, you know, the, the salsa and Celia Cruz are not quite the same <laughs> language as, getting on stage and getting ready to play Beethoven, right? Um, which I think leads us into our, the next part of our conversation, which is about this idea of like competing or coexisting or, you know, these, these different truths uh, that we exist within. And so can, can you all talk a little bit about the sort of tensions that come up both as, uh, you know, so-called classical musicians, right? As, as folks who are in the field of class, so-called classical music, uh, but also that are trying to deconstruct uh, what what that um, art form is. Uh, Delaney, for some reason, your mic went out. I know that this has happened with us before. 
Not yet. <laughs> what about now? Now we got it. Okay. Um, so something that, um, that came to mind when you were talking about um, like music being a universal language. Um, and then and Alex also said like, some people say, well, music kind of like transcends that it's not really about that, that, that political, that, you know, whatever, like, I'm a firm believer that, that music, like, we, we should be open to music being for fun. I feel like as classical musicians, so-called classical musicians, and, and just people that play music for a living, we get really bogged down in, like, the, you know, like, it, it's very, it's very tedious, because you're trying to make it perfect. You want to win an audition, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so it's really hard for us to, to grasp the fact that some people um, play music for fun, but on the other hand, those who are in this field who say it's not political and it transcends that, that's just simply not true. Like, you know, I feel like anyone who has taken a basic music history class will know like, Classical music has been incredibly political for a very, very long time. Like Beethoven was political, Shostakovich was political. Like, and and it's just um, that that's kind of the same thing with those like competing truths. Like, like some people feel as though they can't enjoy music. You know, they feel like oh, you're trying to take that away from us because you're trying to make it into something that it's not. But also, it is that. Like, <laughs> so I don't really. I don't know. That that's something that I feel like um, is is that's something that a lot of musicians and, and lovers of the art form are are like grappling with right now. Some people are refusing to to acknowledge the fact that the other side exists as well. Yeah, I mean, I think on the whole, uni music is universal thing. You know, the the idea that or the phrase that just jumped into my head was like someone saying language is universal. I mean. Sure. Yeah. Language is universal among human beings. I don't know if that's actually the universe, but in any case, I get the idea. But but we would never say that, like, because you speak one language, you can speak another language or that language that. Right. I mean, so, yeah, music is universal in the way language. But here's the thing. You rarely hear other types of artists or art forms saying the universal thing. Right. That's actually a pretty, pretty germane, pretty home to so-called classical music. And what we mean to say is that this music is universal, which is what the notion of classicality sort of um, brings to mind. But to your point, Angelica, I thought what was really interesting in um, especially listening to the conversations that Katie and Delaney had was this sort of tension between um, practicing self-care and practicing scales or practicing self-care and practicing so-called classical music. And I was really, I, I thought the conversations Delaney um, and Katie had really brought out a lot of it. I was really interested in what a lot of their panelists were saying about, um, you know, trying to navigate this, this, these tensions between like, I want to be great at this thing. I love this thing. I'm into this thing. Uh, I also sometimes feel abused by this thing. I feel not loved by it back. I feel like it tells me to deny like aspects of myself. I, I feel so. I'm just yeah. I'm curious, Delaney and Katie. Like, you know, what 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 type of stuff? Are, are, I'm also curious because you're a little bit younger than me. Like, what you know? How is your generation sort of, or the generation even behind you? Like, how do you see them, you know, navigating this or balancing this or expressing this sort of tension between like practice self-care and practice scales to your fingers bleed. And, you know, how does that show up for y'all or the people you're talking to? 
Um, well, I don't know. For me, I'm always, uh, how do I say this? Delaney and I talk a lot about taking breaks. Like, that's something that I've always championed because, mainly because it's not, <laughs> I really like doing nothing because I never get to do that. But, um, I like taking breaks because viola is a very, it's a, it's a mental thing for me. Um, mainly, and I think it's interesting like that, that music is universal thing. I wanted to say that like, that's the first thing I don't, the curriculum hopefully has changed, but like in my intro to music ed class in undergrad, when we, you, one of the first things you do is learn how to advocate for music education because they, that's the first thing they cut and they'll be like, well, music is universal. So you kind of like, you kind of like carry that with you. Like that's one of the first things I see the paper in my head uh, with my professor's name on it, like music is universal, number one, keep music, you know? So, um, but the tension between like so-called classical music and like my own experience is, is very, I really compartmentalize a lot of things in my, in my mind because they don't really exist at the same time for me. It's really weird. Like a lot of times, like my pastor will ask me to play at church and I'll be like, why it'll be boring it's just hymns and stuff you mm-hmm. know like because i don't i don't really do a good job of like combining those because one thing i do with with mental health and viola which i don't know i don't i wouldn't recommend anybody else do this but you know I, I did pretty okay i've done pretty okay um i heard missy copeland say something that really struck a chord with me and it was how like when she leaves the ballet studio ballet is done she don't watch people dance she don't think about ballet she leaves the studio and like that's it so I really incorporated that into my personal playing. And I, I just saw a huge difference about like, I'm going to practice for these six hours. And then I don't think about viola anymore because especially like the shift in going to a state school, which is which was pretty rigorous because my undergraduate teacher made it rigorous to going to Eastman where everything was operating at 700 cylinders. Like why was music theory so hard? But mm. um, at Eastman, <laughs> um. I, that really helped me because it was like viola is something that I do, but it's not the only part. It's not the only, it's not, it's part of who I am, but it's not who I am. So mm-hmm. like, that's how I kind of navigate mental health. I take, I take breaks. Like um, I'm on a break right now, but I have to get back in shape when I go to Memphis. So that's coming up, but I'm on a break right now. And also like, I really, I try to compartmentalize. Like I like listening to viola music sometimes, but like, I'm probably listening to the baby or Hezekiah Walker or Flo Millie. Like I'm listening to anything, but Rostopovich played the Bachelo Suites, you know, because that's just how I navigate my mental health in this field. Mm. Mm. Well, I think, I think, yeah, our generation has been better about mental health and, and, and self-care and, and, incorporating that into whatever they do. I would say that I'm terrible at that <laughs> and I have been for a very long time because that's just kind of the culture of um, of like the field. It's, you know, you're always trying to get better. You're always trying to, I don't know, like improve and take criticism and all that kind of stuff. So I, um, but, but because of that, because of how terrible I've been at it, I can't stress it enough. Because I think I feel I truly feel like my relationship with the instrument has suffered because of that, because of not having a healthy, healthy boundaries, you know, um, healthy expectations like um, I cannot 
stress it enough. Like, yeah, if you need a break, you have to be honest with yourself about that. And, and, um, it, and it's hard because you're not just dealing with your own expectations. You have a teacher, you have a studio, you have, you know, you have other people to answer to. Um, but um, I'm, I'm trying to get better about that. And like Katie said, yeah, we talked about uh, taking breaks and I'm getting to a point where I don't feel bad if you know if I'm taking a break as long as you are it's not like you know you just you know you show up to your lesson without the instrument and you just like I'm on a break so right <laughs> you know like just, what we doing today look like that 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 P Diddy looking at that guy and they just staring at each other like what next like it's not like that but you know it's it's the balance because like I just, I remember there being a point where I'm like, I feel like I'll never touch the bass again, you know? And people don't talk about that in, in classical music. And, and I've told, like, I, I'm putting my business out there, but you know, whatever. It's, um, I've put this on the, on the show, talking about a break that I took where I couldn't even, I couldn't even take the bass out of the case. Like, and I, and I had, a, had to have a moment with the instrument where I just was like, I had to consciously consciously acknowledge the good times that I had with it because they seemed so far away you know like I was so deep in that anxiety where like I was like don't nobody even say the word bass around me like I don't want to talk about it like yeah like (laughs) no nobody even say and it really got to that point and that's why I um why this subject is like so so important to me is because like it it sucks you know something that you've been doing for a very very long time and you think this is all oh, this is my future and then you kind of reach this point where you're like I don't even you know I don't even know if I'm going to be able to do this anymore because I ignored all the signs I didn't take breaks I didn't listen to my body and my mind when it said like you know you're being too hard on yourself that sort of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm um a couple of things come to mind for me, especially around this pathways thing. I mean, I think one thing, so if there's any music educators or anyone running a conservatory out there or a school of music, you know, I feel like I, I definitely would have benefited um, and to the young people listening, like no one taught me how to practice, right? And no one knew what I was doing in my practice sessions. And no one knew to your point, Delaney, like how I was talking to myself. And so you can get into some really, destructive um, habits from a physical perspective, from a mental health perspective. There's a book, I'll, when I finish, I'll see if it's on the shelf behind me. I usually keep it there, but um, uh, it's called First Learn to Practice. And um, I'll get the title in a second, but the, one of the first lessons, and I just read this book for the first time like two years ago, but it said, uh, if you're not having fun in your practice sessions, basically the, the lessons, if you're not having fun in your practice sessions, change them until you are. And that was really like, I, I know it sounds simple. That was really eye opening for me. The idea that like I should be. And so I, I've really tried to incorporate that as best I can um, and think about like, how can I, I have a job, I get paid to practice. Right. So I, I have obligations I have to meet, but how can I make my practicing more fun? What does that look like for me? Um, yeah. So I'm, and I and I think on this question of like, you know, coexisting or competing truths, Angelica, where you where we started on this. I mean, I think that you know, I look at like the reason I say sounds, words, and people is because I was trying to um, articulate or encapsulate like all of the, these things. I I didn't want the truths to be competing, right? I didn't want sort of blackness and so-called classical music 
to be in competition with each other because they didn't they don't feel like they're in competition with within me necessarily uh, sometimes perhaps but it's more my experience of the both of them that caused some 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 competition or some friction and to be clear friction isn't a bad thing like i feel like my practice has benefited we have classically black because of friction right so friction isn't on its own necessarily a bad thing it can lead to some interesting things it can make fire um but i i think that coming up with a framework that holds all of it sounds words and people and wanting to participate in all of them help for me was about sort of trying to reconcile that competition right so I say so-called classical music because calling it classical music perpetuated narratives and frameworks that I felt were not censoring me and were alienating to me. Um, and I realized, oh, I want to participate in all these things. I don't, and, and I think the nature of orchestral music is a lot of being subject to, right? That's sort of the, 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 what you're signing up for. You're subject to someone else's composition, subject to someone else's tempos subject to the sort of collective it's a beautiful thing this idea of subsuming yourself and giving yourself over to the whole thing but it can also um what i found was that there was a lot that i was sort of agreeing to that i didn't agree with and i there was a lot that i wasn't i wanted to participate in like well what does this music mean and, and for whom is it for and who are these spaces allegiance to and so for me you know reconciling those competing or co coexisting truths has been really productive, actually. And I look at what Delaney and Katie are doing, and I see that as well. And your guests that you had on your last session, I felt like all of their projects, right? So Amari and Jasmine and Joey, and did I pronounce uh, Amari's, is that, I, I just saw it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I felt like their, pro their projects were like amazing sort of manifestations of them, you know, reconciling competing truths or or and, and shout out to the in washington we're like tossing around competing truths everywhere and not naming it that's who, who first introduced so and lacolian's on faculty for uh ynf so anyway so yeah. yeah 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 and alex i think you know when you're talking about audience right you, you mentioned educators or, or young musicians I, I think the other like big piece of the audience who we're talking to here is or orchestras right mm because orchestras valorize this sort of like, I'm gonna give every ounce of me uh, over to this to this thing. And I mean, Delaney and I have worked together in an office setting. It's really interesting hearing you talk about like your mental health, because it was definitely, I think you were one of the first people to be like, yeah, Joel is always on the clock, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh shoot, like, yeah, Joel's always on the clock. Like I, I should probably take a look at that and go ahead and like balance some of that out, right? I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Uh, so, so um, yeah, I think that uh, to your point, bringing some of this conversation in and starting to question like our own participation in that, co uh, you know, competing truth uh, is is really important. Uh, so let's let's go ahead and talk about some of the highlights uh, for all of you in these past couple sessions. What were some of the things that stuck out to you? What were some of the things that like made you think, hmm, uh, you know? I think one of the um, one of the highlights was definitely hearing uh, your conversation, Alex, with Garrett, because mm -hmm. Garrett is somebody that like I stand, love him, like everything that he touches is gold. So I'm like <laughs> big fan, um, and I also think that, I mean his his pathway, you know, you know that you guys talked about is just so it's like it's very interesting and, and unique because he got to where a lot of musicians think that they are going and will just be you know like he won a job and 
Um, and and I just remember him saying that like one of the the lowest points in his career was realizing that that his orchestra job was not enough. And I just feel like that, I mean, I could only imagine because, you know, being, there, there was a period of time where that's, you know, what I wanted and, and to know that you've worked so hard for that and, and it's not enough for whatever reason, whether that be financially or you're not artistically fulfilled, like, um, it was just, it was, it was great to hear somebody actually be honest about that and, and, and say that. Um, but it's also it was also great to see how he kind of transformed his career and like how that that transition happened. And I mean, I'm very familiar with Garrett's work now, but just to see like he um, the stuff that he does with Triloquy and how and how creative he's gotten with with challenging what classical music is, what studying classical music looks like has been has been really interesting. I was. That's one of the highlights was seeing his interview. Hmm. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Monica's interview. I also stand Monica. I stand Garrett too, but like <laughs> Monica is just a goddess. And I really, I've I've tapped into like an entrepreneurial mindset over the past couple of years, which has been a shift for me because if you've met me anytime, anywhere over the past three years, I say I want to be in the Met. That's what I want to do. I love opera. And that hasn't gone away, but there's other things I wish to contribute to, to the world of classical music. And I just I just like that kind of talk about like how Imani Wynn started and and just hearing like the backstory of that kind of stuff because a lot of people don't talk about that. And then I also I also liked how she said that um Amani wins doesn't just come up overnight, you know, and because you kind of think like, oh, you want to do a thing? You want to do a thing? Period. We do the thing. And it's it's not always like that. So that was really interesting to me. And uh, yeah, with the business stuff, like they don't teach you that kind of stuff. They might do a little bit if you elect to learn that kind of stuff in conservatory. However, like that was really interesting for me. That was certainly one of my highlights. Mm. Yeah, I think a highlight for me, and uh, forgive me, uh, the the young brother who is um, a student at Morehouse. Kenneth. Kenneth, yeah. I, I thought his whole story was just really inspiring and fascinating and interesting. I feel like we don't talk enough about uh, HBCUs and how, you know, that can really, I think, in many ways could be the key to the riddle in terms of like, how do you make classical music, so-called classical music relevant to black, practice it in black spaces, right? And so this idea that, you know, he would, that he would, um, you know, be at Morehouse in the way, it was just, it was just really interesting and exciting for me. Um, I'm hoping that we'll start to hear more of that. It was also interesting because there's a lot of talk about like pathways and money being invested and, you know, projects in cities all over the country to try to get kids to go to like the Cleveland Institute of Music and Eastman and there's a pipeline to orchestras and it's like well maybe like maybe that's not maybe that's not where it's at and maybe that's not the healthiest thing for these young students which is not to say if you want to go to Julia I mean look I was all about it I, you know, so I'm not trying to discourage anyone I'm just saying I thought that was a really inspiring and interesting story um uh, so I really enjoyed hearing what he had to say I really liked what uh Joey uh, Gidry, is that Gidry? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole thing about you know Doc Martens and Beanies and new music and new music like not being by virtue of it 
this idea this idea that like just because new music is sort of seen as other against the backdrop of like so-called classical music doesn't mean that it is any different as it relates to the centering of white people and white experiences and the decentralization of black people and black experiences and so his whole his whole um you know sort of exposition on that i thought was just really really great and i think overall i mean i'm so i'm almost 50 years old and i think for me i was really excited and inspired to see like how the generation that you katie and delaney represent and maybe a little bit younger with some of the people you were talking to how connected you are how you knew each other already um you know that that didn't come start coming online for me until really my um you know early early mid-20s when I went to Gateways for the first time and the, another Lacolian Washington reference because that's when Lacolian and I met we've been lifelong friends since but this idea of like a big thing for me in undergraduate and graduate was like the separation between like my life and self and like my musical life and self and they were both like central to me but they had very different expressions out in the world um, and so the idea that like I'm seeing a, 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 a group of young black people who define themselves around that, but also so-called classical music and the way everyone was vibing. I was just really excited and inspired and like, can't wait, you know, to see what it's all gonna look like. And can I join that orchestra when you guys start it? <laughs> yeah, I really resonate with that because like you really, you really go through classical music. I'm not, obviously not everyone, but I went through a lot of classical music thinking I was the only one, you know, I mm -hmm. went to a state school. So while the, the black population at my state school was pretty big, you know, whatever BSU and Greek life and whatever it was, I was in the school of music. So I was one out of a 400 school. I was one of like three or four people. So it, I was it was everything was so separate for me so when I got to when I got to Eastman and then I saw like all these black people I was like oh this is great and then but there wasn't really a community I was like oh so we doing this again and all these is relative because <laughs> yeah that's true I mean, that's going, true. From, going from three to 20 yeah. I was like oh it's a party yeah. you yeah. know fair enough fair enough you know yeah but it, but it was still really like disjunct where people were really kind of separate and I was like oh this kind of sucks but I, I mean I'm used to this so I guess what we're doing and then I went to gateways and I was like so there's a lot of black people doing this like a lot and they're good I was like oh okay so let's figure out what we got to do and that's when I think I started I didn't start anything but I, I was more forthcoming like I saw Jasmine in orchestra I was like hi my name's Katie we should be friends um you're black I'm black let's make sushi let's do something and then so that community like and then with classically black and like with Delaney and stuff like that it just feels classical music feels comfortable to me for the first time ever because like this like I have people here that are doing this thing with me like where we have made ourselves learn about black composers and they're doing this and having like across the nation I know people and we have the community with classically black like I feel really really comfortable here in a way that I never felt before until this post uh gateways post classically black time so it is really really exciting and I hope that this energy of like black community continues in classical music because they can it just feels a lot better to be in a community in a place that has been 
constructed to be predominantly or overwhelmingly, as Delaney said earlier, wh white. You know, like we can exist in that space and feel really comfortable. And like this is the most excited I've been about classical music since I started when I was nine. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, on that, I think that what has made me also think about riffing on the on the on the fellowship that I saw online, how inspiring and exciting that was for me. And the fellowship I feel when I go to Gateways, I'm actually, you know, I'm on the board of Gateways, so big up for the Gateways Music Festival. Go check it out. You can go see our website, Facebook page, all that stuff. Um, so just to define for the audience, actually, so Gateways is a music festival uh, dedicated to uh, classical musicians of African descent. So the connection, the upliftment, the inspiration of um, that group of practitioners. Uh, we draw people from all over the country and, and all over the planet to a gathering or a week-long festival of music making and laughing and fun and upliftment. Um, in any case, I think that uh, what that whole thing showed for me and what I saw and there's like, this is a social art form, right? Like we, we that and that, that, that's part of what's happening, right? People, that's what's happening all the time. We're not adding something different to it actually we're, we're finding each other and finding a way to uh, to sort of express and inhabit the art form the way it's expressed and inhabited like all over the place right so that i mean um so we're, I, I just think it's important to note that right this isn't about like adding some extra element it's about actually restoring something that hasn't been in our experience um and deepening our, our our love for the the art form ourselves each other it's um so anyway yeah it's it was anyway that was one of the highlights for me was was seeing 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 that group of that group of friends it was great yeah and i think some of what some of what y'all are pointing to is like um this idea it, I, i'm going to use the term like entrepreneurialism but mm -hmm. like i I don't know that that's even the right term because what what you all what each of you has talked about doing and what each of the folks that's been on these panels have talked about is essentially like, you know, this this space wasn't quite mine yet, and I thought uh, this particular thing was important, so I just went down that path and I did it. I guess for the young folks that are listening, that are like, you know, maybe I want a career in in, in uh, so-called classical music because now they're all questioning what classical music even is. Uh, <laughs> uh, what what advice do you have for them like how do you how did you all go about that because you're at this point you two have classically black podcasts and it's uh, this incredible space that a lot of folks feel ownership over right and that you two feel ownership over uh i would imagine that it didn't always feel that way or that you weren't always quite sure you know how to how to um really embrace some of that what were the steps that you took to really make this space your own? Was it scary? Was it hard? Uh, what did you have to push past? Um, it was, I mean, yeah, you kind of have to work, I wouldn't say against, but like, it's kind of strange to work around the expectations of you know, just the field. Like, I think I said this in one of the one of the previous sessions. Like, I've definitely, you know, been to those lessons where your teacher's just like, "Oh, so new new episode this week? How long did that take?" You know, <laughs> and it's like, "All right, so let's hear your um, let's hear the X Y Z." And it's just like, "Oh gosh," you know, like just told him I spent three and a half hours on this podcast, and now I played a wrong note. Let's see what happens, you know. So I think that was 
was something that I kind of had to like work around, but just knowing that what I'm doing with Classically Black enriches my classical music experience and education. Like it's not just something that I'm tacking on because I like working so much because Classically Black is work, it's fun, but it's work. So um, yeah. Yeah, going off of that, like we, getting Classically Black off the ground was hilarious because we've never podcast before so we had the idea was the easy part like oh we should podcast okay that was like the easiest part of this whole thing but like getting getting listeners and and consistency Delaney and I are very much like this must come out on Mondays like they're hell or high water it will come out on Mondays we've lost episodes and recorded them two in the morning like we've got it up and edited to put it out at five in the morning like it must come out no matter what but you're also in school at the same time so that makes it incredibly difficult also figuring out how to make a podcast I mean we watched a YouTube video tell us how to put it up and then Delaney were like <laughs> we, <laughs> we couldn't figure out the RSS link which is basically like a unique link that you post so that it, this goes out to all platforms so like we we host on SoundCloud but it goes Spotify Apple whatever but we couldn't figure out how to do that so Delaney and I were like Oh, we could just code real quick right so we looked <laughs> like we'll just, we'll just build this thing and we looked up a 15 minute youtube video on how to code i'm like we're gonna school for this like we thought we were gonna learn how to do it like literally like how to code and it was literally i wish i was lying it was like 12 o'clock in the morning and i was like okay i'm gonna go lie down because i'm not going we were at my apartment i'm like i'm gonna go lie down and we could try to self-care doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> it's two in the morning we have an episode due <laughs> like it was that was my that's my favorite part of the origins of classically black so it it's difficult i think the main thing but i i think why i mean there are plenty of people who do podcasts every week like that's the nature of podcasting but one thing I'm, i will say like my so-called classical music training prepared me to be successful at podcasting because one thing is people listen to us because even though we joke around at everything, everything's a joke. Like we talked about Mahler last week and called it entanglement. Like every single thing is a joke with us. <laughs> but like, because we know classical music or so-called classical music and we're good at our instruments, people wouldn't listen to us if that wasn't the case. And that's how classical music is. Like people wouldn't listen to Garrett if he wasn't good at the bassoon. Like no one, no one would really, and that, that kind of, it can be elitist, but I think that's true with everything. Like, would you would you go to Bobby Flay's restaurant if he wasn't Bobby Flay? Like probably not. You know, it's, he has a name for a reason. So we know our craft really well, and I think whatever path people go down with classical music, I think it's really important to be good at your instrument. Like I was talking to some some uh, what's it called teacher candidates last week, and they were like, "Do you have any advice?" I'm like, "Be good at your instrument." You know, and I'm I mean not just like I can play every Paganini caprice backwards and forwards, but like just like being good at it you know whatever that means that whatever that means to you and your expectations and your mental health and whatever um and it, but also classical music helped with consistency like I said like there is not a Monday that comes that you won't see the episode even when we lost one and then we have to do it again you know that always happens so yeah Yeah, I mean, I think definitely in terms of advice and how to do it, right? So I, I think one thing is like friction isn't a bad thing. Like pay attention to it. There might really be a kernel of something there. The, the friction you're feeling around 
whatever it might be, some tension, I would, I would, I would look at it for sure. One, it might be that like it's telling you to slow down or stop or do something different or change your body if it's a physical thing. But if it's more of a intellectual or mental or spiritual one, like it might be, there might be something there or resolving that might, might require you to build something amazing that would be interesting to you and other people and could be an area of practice for you for a long time. I think, uh, think of yourself as building a practice and a job is definitely a key component to that, right? I mean, I think one of the things I love most about my job is that I get paid to practice. I mean, usually right now <laughs> things are a little different for performing musicians, but assuming that you know we make it through this and there's something to return to, which I, I'm pretty confident there will be. But even without that, I still, I, you know, I've been doing virtual stuff. So I mean, um, so I think a job is an important part of a practice and it's fundamental actually in many ways because it, it, you know, it, it, practicing takes time, the literal practicing, but also this sort of more capital P practice, which we talk about in the Yola National Institute, right? So the expression of the thing, the meaning of the thing, your sort of work, your artistic practice. I think nuts and bolts, I definitely co-sign on the idea that like if, you like how what where is your authority going to come from so if your authority is going to come from or the authority you want to have just because you want to climb that mountain or you love the viola or the bassoon or the clarinet or whatever if that's going to be the source of your standing and authority in the business and you really do have to be good right you don't necessarily have to be the best in the world to ever breathe or play but you really do have to play in a way that um both the collected field of professionals sort of or forget about professionals but the collected field respects and, and acknowledges like yeah that's the thing but also you think about you know lay people or the audience right they come to see us do things with our bodies that they can't do in the same way that i go to cirque du soleil like i have a body but i can't do any of that stuff it's fascinating to me show me more and i think there's a similar sort of thing happening inside concert halls, right? People come to see the human coordination show, that right? They wanna see stuff like that, people achieving a level of consistency and accuracy and manipulation of their nervous system that's like fascinating and interesting and you know, not, not unlike a hyperflexible person twisting themselves into knots, right? It's like, I got two arms and two legs and like, I didn't even know they could do that. So I do think this idea of like, shedding and getting as good as to the degree that you want your authority to come from that i will say though that like that's not the only place authority comes in uh the field of music be it so-called classical music or otherwise right like barry gordy is responsible for the motown sound and everybody knows who that is and i couldn't tell you what instrument he played or if he can hold the tune i imagine he could at some point in our field you know a lot of people know the name deborah borda um, I couldn't tell you what instrument Deborah Borda plays, but I can tell you that, you know, when she speaks, the field listens. And when she wants something to happen in the field, it happens. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways uh, to go about that. But if you are choosing to make sound making your, uh, your sort of authority or that, then definitely you have to put in the time on that. Um, and then I will say on that in terms of self-care, this is the book that I was talking about. So it's called First Learn to Practice. It's by Tom Heaney or Haney. It's really thin. It's seven ideas and seven habits. I don't know if it's still in print anymore, but this first one I think is key, which is to say practicing needs to be fun, not just should be fun. It needs to be fun if you're going to be doing it like for the long haul or even for the short haul. So um, empower yourself uh, if your practicing isn't fun 
to change it until it is. Uh, I feel like you already kind of covered this, but um, I always enjoyed Alex, you at the end of every session asked everyone to kind of uh, give one final, just like one final piece for young folks who are listening, who are interested in music and interested in pursuing a career. Um, just one thing, if you were to tell them one thing, what would that be? Um, just as we, as we wrap up here, our final pathway session. Um, I would say that I would say it's okay to change your mind. So I went to undergrad um, as music ed, but was also within the hopes of becoming a dentist. I was taking pre-dental courses. Um, so I took like all the way up through Orgo and then I was like, this ain't it. And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna be a, a classroom teacher. When I taught six through 12 uh, high school orchestra, I felt really unfulfilled. Like the kids were great. I was having a good time, but I was like, this can't be it. Then I went to Eastman and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be an orchestral musician. And I'm still kind of there. You know, I don't, I, I'm not going to tell all my business for the world, but I'm, I'm still basically there, but I want to do other things on top of that orchestral path. And so you might say like, oh, you just sound like you, you are having a, a midlife crisis. I'm not, but <laughs> um it's okay to change your mind. The, you you go towards something and then you refine that and you keep going and then you refine that and you refine that and you refine that. So I, I would say like, it's okay to change your mind. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Delaney. I don't know. Yeah, you're good. Um, no, but I was like, you're a bit young for a midlife crisis, <laughs> Okay, I'm in quarter life crisis, but I already said it. So it was. But um, <laughs> no, I would say, um, I guess like, do other things, and I don't mean that as in like have a backup plan in case you fail. Like I'm not saying not like that, but like, an instrument is not a personality. Like it's not, you know, um, and you know, classically black can be a thing because. Katie and I are into like we we embrace our culture and like we do other things and that's why we're able to relate it to classical music. You know, you're relating if you're if you're not doing anything but playing your instrument, you're relating what Mozart to Beethoven. Like you know, we're uh, we related what Young and May to Schubert. Like you know, like we we're doing other things and it's also it just helps you stay sane. Like before classically black, Katie and I barely ever talked about classical music. Like I went to, on an errand with her to pick up her viola from the Luthier and she still was playing it. And I was like, Katie plays a viola? Like <laughs> for a split second, I was like, I totally, like we go to the Eastman School of Music. Every time I see her, she has the viola on her back. But for some reason, like we just never talked about music. So she started playing. I was like, wow, she really sounds good. Like what's going on? But she's literally getting a master's degree in viola performance from the Eastman School of Music. Of course she sounded good. Like. <laughs> So I just, um, yeah, I would say um, do other things. And also because if you do choose, you know, to leave the non-traditional path of conservatory, freelance orchestra, whatever, um, 
you can feel more secure in that because also in this day and age as a musician you need to know how to do other things you need to know how to write well to market you're like you need to know how to do that anyway whether you're going to be a musician or not and um there was like a period of time where I thought I kind of had to you know be on that path because I was like I've been playing the bass for so long I can't do anything else like and I really really thought that you know and I was like 17 like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, my life is all I, I got to do this for the rest of my life. Like, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> but, yeah, so that would be my my advice. That's great. Um, my advice would be to embrace the power of these three words, which are, I don't know, right? So I think that the way that shows up would be, uh, one, practice a lot slower because you don't know, right? Be okay with that, right? I think if I could look back, if there's one like hands-on practical thing, everybody should be practicing a lot slower and understanding why it's important to practice slower. And part of that is about being curious about what you don't know, as opposed to trying to obliterate what you don't know. So-called classical music, um, I think, is all about the knowing, right? I know all the notes, I could, and, and, and it's all about sort of obscuring what you don't know, right? Trying to you know, play a no perfect thing. So I would, I would lean into the power of I don't know, lean into how liberating it is to say it out loud, to be like, yeah, I don't know. Um, it also, I think, inclines you towards a more curious mind, right? So you know, be curious about like, huh, I don't know why I can't play this. One, I sh- let me go slower, but two, let me really be curious and be okay with that as opposed to, I know for me when I was young, a lot of my work and practicing was about trying to obliterate that which I didn't know or the impression that I didn't know something, right? So I always needed, felt like I needed to have the answer. I always was trying to sort of cover up um, you know, shortcomings or weaknesses in my playing as opposed to really being curious about them and leaning into it. So just as a general disposition, I would say, be really, uh, really lean into the power of I don't know and like what it feels like to say it out loud and to not have all the answers and uh, to be, you know, sort of in the mystery, in the question, on the journey. So that would be what I would say. I love that a lot. Uh, Thank you all so much. So we're officially out of time. But if y'all don't mind, uh, if there's uh, Instagram or a uh, website that y'all want to point people to, if you don't mind putting that in the chat, um, just so folks can contact you there. Um, And beyond that, I just want to say a huge thank you to Delaney and Katie uh, and all the work that you've created with Classically Black Podcast. Thank you both for sharing that space with us and for uh, all the work you did on this. Alex, thank you so much for all that you did uh, and, uh, and, and for your leadership in all of this. Um, beyond that, uh, I think we've got one more session today at 1130 if anyone's interested in that. Um, and uh, we'll catch everyone again real soon. Thanks again, Delaney and Alex and Katie. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> 
All right, y'all, it's time for Black Excellence where we hype you up, gas you up, and give you your props because there's room for everybody at the top. Who are you talking about, Delaney? Um, okay, this week I'm talking about Izima. She is a violinist that y'all might recognize her name or her face because she has uh, oh, yeah she has a large mm-hmm. uh, social media following. Um, but I'm talking about her this week just because she came to my attention because she did a violin version of WAP. Wait, hold up. And Classic <laughs> FM reposted it. That's how it came up on my feed. Classic FM posted it. Of course, people was in the comments being, you know, it's classic. Oh, that's music. what you sent me. I saw something. I just didn't get to, get to um, it. You know, people was in the comments saying, this, like, obviously not talking about her, but talking about the song, which I was like, y'all hate her, so we better shout her out on the show because she did that. Wop, wop, wop. She always practicing. We always practicing, period. Um, Ew, please don't promote Cardi B. This is a classical music page for heaven's sake. Y'all are the reason why classical music never mind. <laughs> yeah. I hate it here. Yeah, girl. Like, people are people are just anyway. Um yeah, but Ew. <laughs> okay. Ow. Um but shout out to her. She she um has worked with a bunch of amazing artists including Beyonce, Stevie Wonder, Mac Miller. Um, she's also performed at a bunch of illustrious venues in New York City where she, um, I believe she's still based in New York, um, but of course she's uh, performed with string quartets and orchestras at Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, um, the Madison Square Garden. Um, she's also known for um, for doing like crossover stuff playing things with a lot of different from a lot of different genres um so not just classical obviously uh hip-hop um pop r&b jazz she does it all um so yeah i would link her her website her socials go follow her go listen to her wop uh violin remix and yeah shout out to her i wish i didn't read that those comments like right now because yeah. now i'm i'm really upset yeah that's why i could talk because i was like i didn't want to like put that in her you black want, excellence you know yeah my bad you could cut that out too if you can uh, it was like one and i think i talked over you so <laughs> yeah but people are people are wilding um anyway my piece of the week is Called Kinderzainen. Yep. Opus fifteen, number one in G major by Robert Schumann. I this he wrote like um a bunch of these little kid pieces, I think, for piano, and it's really cute. Ooh, wait, wait, listen to the, listen to a little bit of it. It's it's like dumb cute. I don't know. I was like, ah, that's adorable. So, yeah, that's my piece or whatever. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much for listening to Classically Black Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Classically Black Podcast. If you have a piece of the week suggestion, a black excellence suggestion, or intermission. an intermission suggestion, send them to Classically Black Podcast at gmail.com and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye.